Hello, my name is Ryan, and you are listening to this special episode of the Command Point Podcast. In this episode, Shane and I were able to catch up with William Blood, who won the Super Magfest Kill Team Tournament running a Renegade Chapter Heretic Astartes. In this interview, we talk about his command roster and the strategies and tactics he employed as he walked us through each of his four tournament matches round by round. This interview is a Kill Team Masterclass, and what Will tells us is a must-listen for any competitive Kill Team player. Click the link in the show notes to see Will's command roster, and without further ado, let's get into it. Okay, and we are back here with Will Blood. Howdy. Thanks for uh, thanks for coming on the podcast and uh, doing this interview with us. Glad to be here. Um, anything I could do really to kind of build the community—that's always my goal. Yeah, yeah, we appreciate that that mindset. Um, so, for listeners, I don't know if we mentioned before, Will is the uh, he was the winner of the uh, Super Magfest tournament in Maryland. Um. He took Heretic Astartes, and uh, we, we have plenty of, of questions for you about how everything went and, and what your thought process was going into it. And um, Ryan, did you want to yeah. kick us off here? So um, I guess before we start going into your command roster and all that other jazz, um, what first got you into Kill Team, and how long have you been playing Kill Team for? Um. I have long played 40k, uh, years and years now. I think, oh goodness, it's almost like 15. Um, I moved to Maryland, and I don't know if you've ever been down to the, the, the like the DMV area, but it's really competitive when it comes to 40k. Like uh, GW used to have their HQ out here, and so I think just as a leftover from that, everybody who plays 40k is well, they're out for blood. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, I uh, I moved here right at the beginning of eighth edition. I played Gene Steeler Cult at the time. Mm-hmm. And they were awful, and I had I think like three or four back to back games where I just got trounced. And so uh, I, I took a, ba- a break, just kind of from everything 40k for a couple months, maybe, maybe almost eight. And uh, that was about the time that Games Workshop started teasing Kill Team. And uh, I had all these models lying around, you know, that I hadn't really been doing much with. Kind of followed it. The rules came out. It seemed pretty cool. I didn't really know anybody to play it with, though. So a local store that I go to now, um, they posted a thing that said that they were going to start doing Kill Team Tuesdays, just a dedicated night for it at the store. And uh, I went up and checked it out, and there were actually a surprising number of people. I was really pleased to see that there was such a big presence for it and everything kind of just took off from there we, we've we've managed to keep a pretty sizable group that plays out of a store here in maryland and uh, you know we've started bouncing around at the various events that we can and uh, yeah yeah i mean that's really it really cool uh our our local store also has kill team tuesdays i think that's just a thing they have like a like they, well not kill team specifically but like tabletop yeah. tuesdays Will Blood's Renegade Chapter Heretic Astartes list included an aspiring champion, four Chaos Space Marine Gunners, a Berserker Champion, four Corn Berserkers, a Cultist Champion, four Chaos Cultist Gunners, and five regular Cultists. Yeah, the, the um, 
it's kind of blocked into. I run it in this idea that there are three gas base marines typically in the list. So okay. One being the gunners that you can take, and then uh, a handful of berserkers, typically somewhere between three and five, and then I fill out whatever points are less with the cultists. So that you know the roster is full up of the things to make that to make the variations of it. Okay. Cool. Um, I have to ask, uh, before we get into the tournament, how did you, uh, how'd you pick Heretic? Like, how did you get into that for Kill Team, like, competitively? Well, his last name is Blood, but <laughs> that's my suspicion. I don't know. It, it's no, it's no small part. <laughs> um, strangely enough, it kind of goes back to my 40k background. The very first army that I built ever was, I, I happened to get a cast based Marine Battle Force way back when. And I built it, I put it together. I had no idea um, what what you see is what you get really meant. So at the time, I thought that if I wanted to have, you know, a, a bolt pistol, grenades and all that, you had to have it all on the, on the model. Oh, okay. And so my first box of Marines, they looked god-awful. I put all <laughs> kinds of bolt guns on it. Like, every guy had had a chainsword, a bolt pistol, a bolt gun, a two crack grenades and frag grenades and they were a mess uh, and i gave i gave them every upgrade you could give them so they were like you know ludicrously overpointed and, yeah uh, so i had them for a long time uh, i ended up getting rid of them though because they were almost unplayable and since then i've kind of played a whole bunch of different factions but um kill team came around when it first came out I didn't even play Heretic Astartes because uh, as much as I like them and as much as I met the models, they weren't really good when the game first came out. Yeah. Um, the Chaos Space Marine, just by himself, you're only looking at the two special weapons that they could bring, which was the Heavy Bolter at the time, and then your choice of Plasma Gun for, or, uh, or Flamer, and I guess an Ultra Gun too. Um, and I just could not build a list that, that didn't just died of morale. Um, yeah. Turn two, typically. Heretic had its issues when the game came out, like especially before the sub-factions and before the Berserkers yeah. came in. The sub-factions and Berserkers are really what pushed me to, to even consider them. I don't remember what it... I saw something about Berserkers. Um, I think it, I think it's just I read Blood for the Blood God. <laughs> yeah. Like, oh, my oh, they got my name in here. This must be it for me. Oh, perfect. Incredible. And uh, there was a guy at our local shop who had 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 Casper Marines. He was playing with Iron uh, Iron Warriors, and I watched him play it, and I was like, oh, yeah, they've got some some neat things now. Uh, so I went and I dug into the list a little bit and read through everything and. Um, it's it's gone through a lot of iterations to kind of get where it was now. At the time, we were we were prepping pretty hard for Nova at the store. Um, we had all decided back in February of last year that we really wanted to go to Nova. Um, it's pretty close to where we are. Uh, they had a, they were supposed to have a pretty big kill team event, and we thought, hey, this is a great chance for us to you know we've all been playing the game for pretty much since its release. Um, let's go do this big competitive thing. We'd hosted like local RTTs at the store and such, but mm -hmm. that was a chance to kind of really go out and play against a bigger pool and, and people who we don't really play against very often. That's a big part of it too. Um, I was going to bring someone else to Nova. Either 
I considered Astartes for a while because of Death Denied, because it's just yeah, yeah, yeah. Yep. Um, I, I had found a couple ways. Originally, they were going to be arena only at Nova, and I thought Death Denied was incredible in arena because you could just walk into a hallway, stand there, and then be unkillable, and you know you could just cut somebody out of half of the game. Yeah, but, yeah. Without no. even rolling any dice. While we're talking about, it, I, I was going to ask you. Um, you went to Nova, and uh, I was I was going to ask what like what happened, like how was that tournament for you? Like I don't remember how you placed. I know I saw it on. on... Uh, fourth. Okay. Yeah, I yeah. thought I thought you had a good placing there. So what happened at, at Nova? I guess before we get into all the Magfest talk. So Nova was a uh, a really interesting event, I think, because the TO there tried some things that I think are really good for the competitive nature of the game, but also were really hard to implement in a tournament setting. They had this system where day one you played three games, and that seeded you into, I believe, four brackets. So they, they called them pods. Yeah. Mm-hmm. One of them had eight people in it, and the idea was that you would have the top eight players basically play a mini tournament out, and then behind them would be the... Um, nine through sixteen. Yeah, mini tournament. The GT. Yeah, and um, the thing that was really interesting about it, though, from like a a competitive play standpoint, actually, was those second day um, matches. You played a best of three series, so um, I played nine games against you know three really really good players. Yeah. Uh, and and the cool thing about that was that it take it took a little bit of the randomness out of the game, because um, kill team could be really swingy. I'm sure as yeah, you guys know, of and course. anyone listening to the podcast would probably know. Like you know, you get around where somebody really slams you with the dice, and you lose two or three guys. It could be basically over at that point in time, and, and there's not a lot you can do to stop that. Oh, absolutely. Um, I think the but, idea of a best of three it's it's the ideal for competitive but I, it's I agree. it's it just sounds, harder it sounds so exhausting it's just more <laughs> impractical for kill team because i mean a lot of like esports and stuff you see best of three is like the standard yeah 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 like for, from from a from like a philosophy point it totally made sense like i was 100 percent on board with it when i read the packet and i saw that the team had done it um but sitting down and playing 12 games in two days was like I literally felt fried by the end of it. Yeah. Especially on, on day two, it was... I, so going into the, the tournament of eight, basically, I won my first match. Um, so then my second match, I was going up against... I, I think his name's Alex Torbert. Or oh, Torbett. he actually might be our next guest on the podcast. So He's a really exceptional player. Yeah. He was playing... The, so we were at 100 points in Nova. He was orcs, he, right? He played the uh, the orcs. It was yeah. the, the orcs spam list, and and I actually ran a pretty similar list at Nova to what I what I ran at Magfest. 100 points though, so I had a few less tools. Um, we we played arena for all three of the games that we played though, which favored his orcs pretty heavily. Of course, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Um, so it was it was a real uphill battle because I was just getting bogged down in hallways. You know, even with the berserkers going off and killing several guys as a churn, it was just hard to wade through it. And Nova was um, just hold one, hold more. Yeah, no uh, kill. No, hold one, hold two, hold more. Yeah, yeah. yeah. 
and that made it so uh, game one, he won, game two, I won, game three, he won. So it was real back and forth, and it was really, really close, but it was really stressful. Oh, I <laughs> so, bet, yeah. So so that match alone, I was already kind of, you know, like it really hit the nerves racked up. And then I played against, um, I'm, I'm going to forget his name, he is known as a Necron player. Oh, uh, Chuck, Chuck Yee, was it? Yes, that's it, Chuck Yee. Yeah, yeah and he so took Tyranids. He took Nids, and... Yeah. Uh, and so we'll actually talk about my, my anti-NID <laughs> plans, but NIDs are uh, the hardest matchup for, for my character, Gisardis. Yeah. They have all the things that they need to be a pain in, in, in Heretic Astartes' side. So um, it, we, we play, I played against him, and we rolled basically hammer and anvil. We deployed on the short edges and had... Uh, 20 some odd inches between us so you know he he uh was able to just shoot me with a venom cannon for most of the game and at that point in time we only had the heavy bolter for chaos space raid so i had nothing to fight warriors with um but nova nova was a ton of fun the to ran a really great event um i really hope that they do it again this year uh if they do i'm going to go to it again i'm sure they will yeah i hope we get a lot more players out to it yeah. So when uh, when choosing the your heretic Astartes subfaction, uh, what made you choose the Renegade chapter over Iron Warriors or like World Eaters? It, it comes down to something I think anybody can arrive at if they really think about the core mechanics of the game. So, kill team as opposed to forty k, the game that I came from originally. Uh, the kill team have a really limited pool of uh, command points. You only get two if your leader is still alive. So re-rolls in a given round are really limited. Anytime I can build a re-roll into my list, I'm going to do it. All the Iron Warriors does is gives you that 16% increased chance to take somebody out. But you still have to get to that point where you're doing that. Mm-hmm. I'm running a, a pretty melee heavy team, so the rerolls is definitely helpful on that mm-hmm. uh, for charging. But uh, even even when I look at other versions of the team, you know, where I think about going shootier or something, I just can't ever see those lists being as consistent. Um, a berserker in melee is hitting on threes. Any ranged guy that you have, unless you're buffing him a lot. He's hitting on like fours, five sometimes. Yep. Uh, berserkers are just more accurate with less help. Like I can count on a berserker by himself doing more than a gunner is going to do by himself. And when I design a list, I want everything to be really efficient by itself at what it does. And um, so I'm not necessarily looking for a berserker to kill somebody. Uh, I think looking for kills and kill team is kind of a fool's errand. Ironic. <laughs> it is. It is. Yeah. Um, it, with the mechanic being that when you take somebody down to zero wounds, they only take get taken out of action on a four plus. That's really out of your control a lot of the time. You know, like you can put a CP into it, but even with a reroll, you know, like you, you, you need a lot of things to go your way to take somebody out of action. So what I look to do more in, in everything in my list is to just make it so that I have good positioning power and the renegade chapter does that 
better than any other chapter. Um, look, look at Kraken for Tyranids. There's a reason you see people take it a lot. It's for the same reason. It's because it gives you that power to be able to maneuver around the board in a way that you want to. The movement phase is almost everything in Kill Team to me. So every single game that I play, I use that Renegade chapter for a reroll probably four or five times. Uh, I just don't think you're going to get that same benefit out of any other sub-faction for Chaos Space Marines. Yeah, I see that for sure with the Berserkers too. Like it's it's so dependent on getting in because, and I know the way you run them, I mean, you don't have any ranged weapons on these Berserkers. So if they're not getting into combat, they're not doing anything yeah. really. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, when I talk about the list a little bit, you know, maybe it, it, it plays a lot into my play style. I, I played the game really aggressively like I, mm -hmm. I try and just shock my opponent most of the time like normally they're not ready for such long charges to be happening like the renegade chapter makes it so you can pretty consistently you know if i have two berserkers charging you from nine inches away one of them will probably make it Mm -hmm. and, and that's all it takes. Once I've got one guy in there locking down a, a, a portion of the board, now my opponent typically has to deal with that Berserker who made it into the lines, and that gives me a lot more time to maneuver around my cultists who are scoring points, or even my gunners. You know, like Although I'm not a shooty list, my list is about 50-50 in where I look to do stuff. You know, I'm, I, I tend to try and get some long-range kills. I tend to try and get some kills with cultist with special weapons or even las gunfire and what the berserkers are such a threat people have to deal with them and the renegade chapter just makes them that much more of a threat okay so um speaking more about um about your gunners and your range shooting for this list um how did you how did the auto cannon and the missile launcher gunners specifically uh, work out for you because they are they're new with the uh, kill team annual so in in practice matches i i had a lot better success with them uh but I, i'm not really looking for them to to really be doing a lot of heavy lifting in the list uh, i think in fact in the entire tournament i think the autocannon killed not nothing yeah in fact <laughs> I didn't, I didn't even take it, now that I think about it. Yeah, yeah, I didn't take it. It was on the roster, um, but just the opponents I went up against, like the autocannon wasn't the ideal one. I took the missile launcher twice. Okay. Uh, and I think it shot a Hormigaunt once, uh, <laughs> and that Hormigaunt died. Of course. <laughs> but, that was, but that was it. I would hope um, so. <laughs> I would expect nothing less. So, but that said, they the missile launcher did exactly what it was supposed to which is i actually used the heavy weapons in the marine list again for that for that board state control so the missile launcher because it is a big threat to three plus wound models i can i can use it by saving it as typically my last drop to determine where the thing that it would be best suited at hitting goes and that's actually a really important thing to protecting my berserkers, to protecting, uh, you know, whatever it is I decide. Um, in the format that we were playing, Survivor was um, one of the secondaries that came up several times. 
uh, and that one you you nominate a model in your team after you deploy and if it's alive and outside of your deployment zone at the end of the game you get three uh victory points which is huge um you can i could dictate where the threat to my survivor were with that missile launcher i could dictate where they were going to be able to fire whatever weapon that was. A prime example, in the last match that I played, I played against a Tyranids player. He had a Venom Cannon. Venom Cannon is really effective at taking out Marines, my Berserkers in particular. So I grouped most of my Berserkers on one side of the field and then put the missile launcher there so he would move it to the other side. And that prevented him from being able to fire at any of my Berserkers but one. And, uh, you know, if, if they go unchecked, they're going to do a lot of damage. And so that's kind of what I look to the heavy weapon to do, is just to be a threat. He doesn't actually have to kill anything as long as he scares my opponent, or as long as my opponent respects him. Okay. I mean, that makes a lot of sense yeah. to me. That's I think that's a pretty smart way of, of organizing, I guess, in deployment. Um, I think that's something that a lot of players don't really take into account when they're setting up uh and i'm assuming that on these lists throughout the tournament you were probably always taking most if not all of those berserkers uh yeah actually i took i took five berserkers every single match okay so, and real convenient like it was real simple actually the the roster that i or the muster rather that i ended up running it was just all five berserkers plus a heavy weapon um in the form of the missile launcher or the flamer veteran um, so I didn't take either the autocannon or the plasma gun. Both the classic, you know, uh, Heretic Astartes weapons. I didn't field either of them the entire tournament. Okay. <laughs> but but that was partly because of the matchups that I had. Yeah. You know, I mean, the, match... the missile launcher against Tyranids makes so much sense because you're going up against like a Lictor or a Warrior and you need to get that off the board. Y yeah. Y y even, even if he doesn't kill him... Um, the missile launcher has about a 30% chance, you know, special rules, terrain, tactics, all, it can really adjust those percentages a lot in both ways. You know, for example, even if he blows a, uh, a Tyranid warrior up, if the Tyranid player has enough CP, they could just rapidly regenerate it. Um, so, you know, the math hammer on it isn't necessarily perfect, but I, it is such a powerful weapon that typically Tyranid players, I don't think, are really used to encountering D6 damage weapons. Yeah, yeah, I can't imagine. It's not too common. It's really uncommon in, in Kill Team. You know, you might see a Melt-A-Gun, like a heavy Melt-A-Gunner or something like that. I've, I've seen that in guard lists, you know, occasionally. Um, but, like, a, a Marine with a missile launcher is kind of uncommon. I think the only other time I've seen it is a Scout missile launcher. Yeah, yeah. So, you might you be know, able to. Scouts a lot. Yeah, you might be able to count on one hand how many D six damage weapons there are in the entire book. Yeah, yeah, yeah. P particularly at range. Yeah. Um, yes. So I, I think that synapse is so vitally important to Tyranids that they don't want to ever risk losing those warriors. So you can just kind of force them to either hide, in which case you can now charge them with my berserkers. Um, without taking Overwatch from a Venom Cannon, from a Devourer, from Flash Hooks, you know, from all those weapons they have. Mm -hmm. um, or you can just dictate their deployment. 
um, and try and deny them some portion of the battlefield, which is which is what I put it in there for. Um, originally, I had thought about keeping a heavy bolter in the list, um, like right after annual came out. Like I, I, I did a lot of soul searching on the heavy weapons in a sense. Um, <laughs> But I've come up that I think the autocannon and missile launcher is, is the way to go. They both are the answer to the two extremes of things that are a problem for the list, which is a lot of small things. You know, like if you have a bunch of pox walkers or a whole lot of gaunt, um, those things that are just like orc boys as a great example, just a big cloud of orc boys, autocannon is going to do a ton of work on it. Um, on the opposite side of that, though, three plus wound models are a huge problem for the cast base ring. You don't have anything that really hurts three plus wound models well, except for the missile launcher. And it's not going to do it every time, but it has the chance to, you know, roll that five damage and just blow one of those three wound models off the table. Hmm. Yeah, it's a big enough threat that, like you said, just the act of putting it down is enough of a deterrent to put those high wound count models wherever you want them to be, as opposed to where you want your opponent, where the opponent wants to put them. Yeah. Right. And then, um, you know, typically what that lets me do then, well, you know, maybe, maybe the best thing to do is, um, I don't know, would it, would it be useful to, I guess, to talk about the games? Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I was, was going to ask you. Yeah. We were just waiting for a good time to ask you, but I guess now's a good time as any. Um, round one, I played against Death Guard. And, and wait, before you get into this, there were three games, right? Four. Four. Okay. All right. So continue. So uh, round one, I played against Death Guard. Um, the guy had said he hadn't really played too many, too many games. But he was an exceptional player, nonetheless. It was a very close match. I think I won it by two points. Um, he was running kind of an off-color Death Guard team. Um, it had a lot of things that I don't regularly run into um, on Death Guard. He, I'm used to kind of seeing a double blight launcher with plasma guns. Um on, on like the leader or you know something kind of like that mixed in he had after we mustered i don't remember what was on his command roster he had two combat leg marines one with a cleaver one with a, a flail uh-huh. he had the he had two blight launchers and then he had a combi plasma leader with a power fist um and then he also had a regular bolt gun marine which i've never seen um, and then had <laughs> h- however many pox walkers fill that out. Yeah. Huh. We played, um, we played on arena. At, this is kind of a quirk of the tournament. Uh, in the end, I ended up playing all my matches on arena, which was really uh... helpful against, it was really helpful against death guard, really helpful against my match too, which happened to be custodies, but really bad against gene stealer cult and tyranids. I really wanted to play an open against them both. And I had to go into arena both times. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'll, I'll, I'll try to talk about why. Um, we use the Slaughterfest secondaries, but yeah. we're in Arena. Um, yeah. That that first match, he we played on... Um, the, the name of it escapes me. There's an Arena board 
where there is a hallway that is open in the middle. There's no doors or anything that block mm. it. Yeah, I know which one you're talking about. Yeah, I don't know the yeah. name of it either, but yeah. We, we played we played the deployment where, where you, you, you're you not on opposite sides of that hallway. You're like on the, the short ends of the board, and uh, there's doors between you. Okay. And, uh, I won initiative, and uh, I just ran right up onto his doors with... On one side, just a cultist, and then on the other side with a berserker. Just the intent there to just kind of force him to have to deal with them. Yeah. The Both models, uh, I, I believe, died. Um, but I kind of stalled him in there, and that made it so that I was able to just kind of, for the rest of the game, feed in berserkers one at a time on both flanks. Um, he did, though. My, my berserker champion that I have, who's a zealot, has always been like my most consistent killy model. Um, mm -hmm. uh, when I went to Nova, in fact, tallied up across all the games that I played, he took out of action 25 models. Oh my goodness. <laughs> wow. Like he's just a monster. He's so consistent because he gets, he gets all the attacks um, for being a zealot. He strength six. He re-rolls the wounds with his lightning claw. Mm. Um, you can throw the, the zealot um, tactic on him for one CP. Normally, you never do it, but he has so many attacks because he fights twice, he can actually take advantage of it, which it basically just gives him Death of the False Emperor against everything. On yeah. sixes, he gets an extra attack. Um, and he'll just, like, if if there's two units who are together, or two models who are together, he will he will just kill them both yeah. every time. Yeah. One, of, so, one of my questions that I had for you, actually, was... Um, was which of which of the models on your roster was your MVP for this tournament? I'm assuming it was this fine gentleman here. It, it was not actually. Oh, um, the MVP. Strangely enough, I, it's tough to give it to a single model because I kind of, I mean, they're almost interchangeable to me. But it was just the regular old cultist, and uh, <laughs> oh, it, it it will come up. A, it'll come up in the later matches. They didn't matter so much in this first one. This first one, at uh, Maybe that's what I'll do. I'll talk about the MVP in, e in each of them. Okay. So th this first one, the big deal really came down to, I had to, I, right before the tournament, I put into my list the veteran flamer. I thought a lot about every time I've ever used the veteran tactic. Um, and several times I had taken a veteran berserker and vetted him up the field, charged turn one to try and tie somebody up. But every time that that happens, um, he either kills what he was hitting and then he's just kind of in the enemy ranks and they can decisive move charge in. And I have the decisive move counter and we roll off and we're both down a CP or uh, he doesn't kill what he's hit and then they fall back and he's just dead in the water more or less. He's like a 16, 17 point model depending on what I put on him. And a lot of times I was just throwing him out there. Another for another while, I took uh, a veteran Terminator with Lightning Claws because he's pretty durable. Um, you can vet move, which kind of counters his slow speed, but throw him up into the ranks, just have him kind of run run amok, more or less. But it was kind of a similar issue that he'd run into. He either killed what he was supposed to and then was just kind of there without any support, or he didn't kill it and then they fell back and he doesn't even have a gun, so he can literally do nothing. I, I thought about that. <laughs> The other use of it is, of course, to open a door in Arena. And if I'm opening a door with a Berserker, he's not going to do anything on that turn. 
you know, he's, he's going to vet move open the door. Now he's at the front of my pack. And so I'm going to have to advance him out to let everyone else behind him, something like that. He's not going to do anything useful. And then I thought, in all these cases, a flamer does what I want it to do better than a berserker does. In arena, I have him go up, he opens the door, and now he can advance out on his first turn. So he's going to get way ahead of the pack, which gives me a lot of freedom to move my guys out from behind him. Um, he can go off and then just kind of be a harrying unit, harass one side of the field. The flamer is really effective against all of those chaff units that people like to take. You know, um, cultists and, and chaos lists, grots and orcs, um, yeah. you know, the things that people are grabbing scout the field with, you know, that they're grabbing those um, zone control points. Um, yeah. The flamer is really exceptional at going off and grabbing them. And against very certain matchups, they don't really have anything to take care of a chaos space marine, like a full one in power armor at range. Mm-hmm. The Death Guard are a great example of that. So in this match, I took the veteran Flamer because I thought he's going to be great at harassing Poxwalkers because um, Poxwalkers have a real morale issue. If you, they if do. You, if you space them apart. So the only way to counter that is to space <laughs> them together. And once you put them together, they're very flammable. <laughs> yes, they are. They're, they're, what do they have? Like, uh, they're tough. I mean, they're super weak. They're like three point models. They, they die. Yeah. You like look at them and they die. They're four points, I believe. They have toughness three. They yeah. Have no armor save, but they have a five of feel no pain. Yeah. Yeah. And I think their morale is, or their leadership is like a four. It's very, very low. Yeah. So even if you put a flesh wound on them, you can really quickly just cause them to, to be shaken. Yeah. Um, and against Death Guard, I often find, really against everybody I play against, except mids, I often find the best strategy is just to focus on breaking them as early as you can. Yeah. Because then their models are no longer consistently useful for them. So in this case, I took the Flamer to just be a threat against those Poxwalkers. I vet him, uh, I vet move him, open the door, and then turn one, uh, I got initiative, so I advanced him out to the middle of the board. He had control of the objective, and there was really nothing my opponent could do to contest that. Because if they moved out the Poxwalkers to be in a position to move towards that center, I had a flamer ready to just torch him. He's also Marcus Lanesh, which is a really big boon now, because now you can double shot that flamethrower. So you can, after moving him out on turn one, setting up for turn two, you can start turn two, ready him, and then now if a threat has moved in the you know, contest wherever he's moved to, to control the field. If someone's in line of sight or multiple units are in line of sight, you ready, you fire in the ready round, and then you use uh, Endless Cacophony and Marcus Lanash to fire again at the start of the fire at will phase, um, huh. assuming that you won initiative. So you can just double tap right away before anybody who had moved to contest you was able to do anything about it. Um, so... I really, I actually got a lot of use out of the Flamer in every game that I took him. And it's not as flashy as the Plasma Gun, but it's better at dealing with the really annoying things in the yeah. game. Those um, toughness three, you know, bad saves. Uh, Excuse the noise. <laughs> Sorry about that. No, you're, you're fine. Um, 
uh, Tao Drones are a really great example too, actually. I, I put them in the list kind of with them in mind as well. Um, if someone is in range for Xavier protocols, they're also in range for me to torch both units. So he's he's really effective at um, harassing Tau castles um, if they've if they've built up in a way like that. Hmm. Yeah, that's a good way to think. I haven't really considered that with uh, Savior protocols and, and auto hitting. A standard Marine is also pretty durable against most Tau weapons, barring their um, gunners. You know, if you have a Pathfinder with a rail rifle, that will tear a Marine up. But can confirm. Uh, <laughs> Just a, a regular old gun drone. It, it kind of has a tough time getting through a three-up armor save, especially if you save a reroll to tank it if you need to. Yeah. So um, that, that's why he was in there. In this game, I took him, and he was really helpful. He, he gained me control of the center of the board, and I held it for the entire match. I uh, my, my, my zealot, though, my really beloved model, he charged into the enemy's aspiring champion. And uh, died the Nurgling infestation, which has never happened. To me. Oh, <laughs> so this is—is uh, is this the one where he like comes back as a poxwalker? No, no. It, oh, it's, okay. Um, it's if you fight the enemy leader, they—it's two CP, so it's really costly. And on a four plus, the enemy model suffers a mortal wound. So I charged him, and it happens at the end of the movement phase. So oh, at the okay. End of the movement phase. He paid two CP, got that four for the mortal wound, and then he got the four to take me out of action. Um, so I lost my zealot without him even getting the swing. So, oh my gosh, that's unfortunate. Which, which early on had me kind of worried because that that side that my zealot was on, it, it was the um, the left half of the board. I had put zealot and my combat berserker over there. That's also the same door that my flame vet had come out of, and so I only had three marines over there with two cultists supporting them. And he had a lot of models. I think he had three plague marines and maybe two box walkers. So I was really low on that flank now. Um, and it, it, it was it was a little worrisome because if, if that collapsed, he would have been able to come around to the center. And my flamer is really good against box walkers, but it's really bad against plague marines. Um, so it would have been ideal. Yeah. On the other side, though, things went really well for me, basically right from the beginning. I locked him in with a cultist. He had had to take a lot of time dealing with it. By the time it was gone, I was able to get in two berserkers, hold them back. The berserkers, they didn't really kill anything, um, but they were just tying up all of his guns basically the whole game. So I controlled um, my two objectives and the center objective the entire game. Um, and by the end of it, I actually controlled four of the objectives because I had collapsed his right flank. On the left, really the big boon was that, um, and this is why I don't take a power fist, uh, on the third turn, his power fist was fighting my combat berserker, and it, and it missed because you know, yeah. minus one. Yeah. You know, so that's, and that's the main reason that I just don't ever consider taking him because that reduction in accuracy just really, really hurts. So that berserker lived an extra round, which just stymied his movement, and so he wasn't ever able to really get out. Um, basically, every turn it came, he got kill more um, every time. Uh, we both got kill one, I think, every round. So it was, it, it was the idea behind the kill one kill more. I think was that. You know, those elite armies with heavier models would oh. be able to 
take advantage of it. Yeah. Oh yeah. 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 We've talked uh, a lot about, um, about this, that very topic. So <clears throat> at, at least in practice, and I haven't played it a few times. I, I've actually found a pretty easy way to get around it, which is just barring a, an army like custodies where they've only got three models and you're probably never going to get it. Yep. Uh, you, you just kill something else and accept that you're not going to get killed more and then just find a way to get around the three-point deficit that you're going to end up at. Hmm. So in th- in that match, and in, in every match, actually, where I played against a, a, an army who was pretty hefty, you know, I, who could really survive my attacks, I just tried to deny them as many points as possible. So I tried to look at the six things that we had and be predictive about what he would have selected. Um, okay. In the first match, I, I happened to have the objectives that we had for the first two games um i didn't write them down for the, for the later ones but in that first one our options were cut off the head engage on all fronts high profile targets mind games proximity alert and holding which uh holding is just have an objective the entire game i assumed because he is really 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 durable that he took holding and then because my list had a lot of berserkers on it i assumed that he also had proximity alert uh, his last one was kind of a toss-up for me, but I thought he probably picked high-profile targets because that's a really, really common one. Yeah. Um, normally, if you're going to be trying to kill something, you're going to be trying to kill the enemy specialists anyways. So I thought out of those ones, I I can kind of deny him high-profile targets. Um, it's a little bit of a gamble, though, you know, because those are also my big hitting tools in the list. Yeah, um, like your zealot, R.I.P., Right, exactly. So <laughs> as soon as he died, he did reveal that he did have high-profile targets. Yeah. So, um, which did also, then I kept my veteran away from his forces for the entire rest of the game to just make sure he never got that point. Um, but I knew I couldn't deny him holding because he's he's just very likely going to be able to control a point the entire game. He's Death Guard. If he parks three Plague Marines on it, I don't think I'm really going to be able to shift him. Um, okay. Proximity alert, though, I had a lot of control over it. It's very reasonable that I could make it so that if he was in a position to gain proximity alert, I could either uh, just, you know, when when killing my model came up, not re-roll to allow him to die, you know, things like that. And, and a couple times that came up where I, I was in a position to... Um, prevent him from being able to get proximity alert. And, you know, and every time I did that, were points lost in a round. Just in a matchup between my, my Cast Base Marines and Death Guard, uh, I just can't rely on anything in my list to really kill Death Guard because uh, they have two chances to save against an attack. Right. They're, they've got a, a three up armor, already really good. Mm-hmm. They've got a five up toughness, you know, that's reducing my chance to wound them in most cases. And then they've got a five of funeral pain. Yeah. So, you know, just all of this is kind of stacked to give them a lot of opportunities to, to prevent damage coming through. And, and I saw that in the match, you know, I, I expected it to happen. It did happen. You know, I, I charged berserkers into Marines. I expect to kill something normally with a berserker, but you just can't against black Marines. So uh, in the end, I think, I don't even know that I, oh, I, I, I killed two of his plague Marines both of his combat guys. I killed a guy with the cleaver and a guy with the flail, but I couldn't kill any of the other ones in the end, any of the five of them. Um, so, um, one thing I wanted to ask, uh, 
I'm assuming because you've you've expressed that you you like to save your command points and you value them pretty highly. I'm just going to go ahead and assume that you are not uh, a heretic player that uses beseech the gods. Uh, no. Yeah, I didn't think so. I know a lot of people have moved away from it. Um, for the listeners, that's the one where you pick a model before the start of the first round. You roll a dice, and on a one, he basically takes D3 mortal wounds. He explodes all over the walls. And anything other than a one, he's plus one to hit, plus one to wound for the whole game. Uh, But it's just very very risky, and you use all your CP round one before everything (laughs) even starts. Um, Back when when we only had the heavy bolter, that's the only time I ever considered it. Right, right. Because it was about the only way that you could get the heavy bolter to to do something. Yeah, Um, to stack up. Yeah. Now, though, that the auto cannon is just better in every way, I, I don't even consider it. Mm-hmm. Um, it. It's just too much at the beginning of the game. It, CP for me, I really only ever use it <clears throat> for like four things. I maybe five. <laughs> I use it really consistently for veteran move mm-hmm. because the veteran move gives you a lot of control before the beginning of the game. Before even that first initiative roll happens, uh, I use decisive move all the time. Probably every other round, you know, if not three out of four rounds in a match. Like, decisive move is just huge for uh, an assault list because it, it's what lets you always get that charge off with an important model yeah. before your opponent can run away from you. Mm-hmm. Um, the... I use it for rerolls a lot, typically for injury rolls. I really save it for that. You know, I, I very, very rarely reroll a hit or a wound unless it's like, you know, the chips are down and I, I need this to go through in order to, to, to win the game. If if it's early in the phase, uh, I'll just save it, pocket it, you know, for an opportunity to reroll an injury that comes through later. Um because, you know, oftentimes I'll open up with the big stuff, you know, like I'll start off with uh, the autocannon, the plasma gun, the, the berserker zealot, you know, whatever the, the heavy hitter is, um, because they're ready or because I charged with them. But once it gets around to it, there's always cultists somewhere on the field, and they've always got a last gunshot or two to pop them. Uh, and oftentimes those find the weird... You know, nicks in the armor on a on a random marine, and then you know, rerolling that one injury roll. When the when the cultist takes out the twenty point model, it, it shifts things pretty heavily. Yeah. Oh yeah, that's a big <laughs> that's a big momentum. Uh, that's that's basically as high value, uh, like return you're going to get return on, on investment. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then the other two things that I really save it for now, uh, always it's been for Fury of Corn, which just lets me. F- fight a second time or a third time in the case of the berserker yep. mark a corn model and then newly um the endless cacophony fire twice marcus lanash tactic ah okay so yeah one of my questions was like i was looking at your list and you had like all sorts of different like all your gunners were slanesh all the berserkers are corn obviously so now that makes sense yeah. um yeah they, there are four new tactics, uh, and they all require a mark. Um, okay. The, well, I guess three new. The the Fury of Corn one is in the core book, but the three new ones, Endless Cacophony lets you fire a second time with a Slanesh marked unit. Uh-huh. The, the Mark of Zinch gives a five-up invulnerability save to a model, 
and then the one their goal adds one toughness to a model for for a round. Okay. I actually was not aware of the new tactics on Heretic. I just haven't really looked at Heretic in the annual outside of the new weapons, so that's good to know. There's a there's a couple new tactics in there. There's some pretty cool ones, but they are kind of tough to use. Uh-huh. Aside from those marked ones, there's other ones where it's like, um, I think if there's a 2CP one where you pick an objective and you get to reroll ones to wound against any enemy models that are within three inches of that objective. Oh. Which, could, which could be helpful. Yeah, that, I mean, that but, could swing a match. That's like a round four thing. In my yeah, yeah, I, I think it's if someone has a bunch of models on one point where you're going to get a really big return on investment for it, it seems useful. In most cases, though, people only have like two models holding an objective, and I think I'd probably just rather spend one CP for a reroll to wound if I needed it. Um, rerolling ones on like you know the four attacks you might make against those models in a turn doesn't really seem worth two CP. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So. Yeah, that was basically the match against the Death Guard. I I just kind of locked him into the board and just slowed him down so much that he could never really get out. And Death Guard are already slow. Yeah. So yes. it, it's pretty easy to do. Um, something that is really interesting, though, uh, if you take a look at the standings for MAGFest, the Death Guard falls squarely in the middle of the rankings. Three out of the four players are dead center. Yeah. We talked Uh, to Matt on uh, Tuesday, and he mentioned that Death Guard made up the most um, factions taken uh, at at the tournament. There were more Death Guard players, I guess, rather than any other faction individually. Yeah, yeah. They they definitely outnumbered everybody. I, I thought it was really interesting that it seems like they were really apparently the gatekeeper that you you had to have a, an answer to them if you wanted to get into the top half of the rankings. Yeah, I mean, finishing right in the middle, yeah. Makes sense. Yeah, yeah so the, the match against the Death Guard just kind of came down to that zone control. So uh, we took a lunch break after that, so I had a lot of time to think about who I was going to play next. And when the pairings came up, it was it was pretty funny. Round one, I sat next to the table where um, Janice was playing uh-huh. Mm-hmm. And she decimated her opponent. Like it, it was, it, it was one of those games where the person on the receiving end was like, "Oof, why did I come?" <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and so they were talking about custodies, and she was like, "Yeah, they're they're really really strong. I have a really hard time beating them. That's why I brought them to the tournament." So after our match was over, I talked to her a bit about it, and I said, I've "Never lost to custodies." <laughs> oh. To which she was like, oh, really? Never? And I was like, yeah, I've, I've never lost to him. I, I always I always either kill one, and then they're just down so much that they can't fight back, or I just outscore them on something. Yeah, it's and, it's weird because I wouldn't have possibly considered custodies to be good until kill one, kill more became a thing. Yeah. Uh, so we go away to lunch. Rankings come up, and I'm playing against Janice and her custodies. Uh-huh. I was actually going to ask if you played Janice or any of the other. Um, there was a few high-ranked players on IC- ITC. Yeah, yeah, I, I played three of them. Wow! <laughs> so so yeah. that's about that's about as legitimate of a tournament win that as is, you're going to get. Yeah. My my next three win, my next three matches are all against really good, really exceptional players. So we go into round two against Janice. It's arena again. Like yeah. I said I got it all four times. Yeah. Uh, 
which it, it's good against Casarina against Custodes is a good matchup. Uh, although I put the missile launcher in there in part for Custodes on open. Uh-huh. Uh, firing that missile launcher twice really uh-huh. gives you a lot of power against Custodes, even if they got a storm yeah. shield. If, if you are firing that thing four times in the first two rounds, there's a decent chance that you punch through and knock a Custodes. Yeah, out. just one time. As soon as one of them are down, they've just lost the potential to, to get control point. Um, can I make one, can I make one before you actually describe what happened in this match? Can I make one quick prediction and you can tell me if I'm right or wrong? Sure. Uh, you mentioned that the cultist ends up being your MVP. Oh God. Is, is yeah. there a cultist in this game that Does he survives? Hold the door closed for like all four oh, turns? It's so, it's, so, it's so much better. It is a cultist Does uh, <laughs> and it has to do with the Marcus Leach. Okay. So, uh, Match against Janus, we play, I think it's called Armorium. Yeah. The Armorium for Catacombs. It's the one where there's a, um, a little square room in the middle. Yep. I think that's Catacombs. Yeah. Yeah. I know which one. Um, so we are on opposite sides of the room in the kind of really long deployment. Yeah. I'll I go. Take, I, take, I take the missile launcher in this match, even though it is Arena, because I know she's going to put a Custodes on that door on the opposite side of the, the square room because she has to. Um, so I take the, the uh, missile launcher because I'm going to open the door and I'm going to have him have line of sight down that hallway the entire match. Right. Which is going to make it so that she can't stand and fire. He's going to have to engage me in combat. Uh, and that's, a, that's an important bit because I can feed her one guy at a time in combat. In shooting... Um, I have to worry a lot about placement. You know, I don't want to be hit twice with custodies. They're really, really accurate. So they can pretty easily kill two guys with gunfire. Mm-hmm. Her roster has all the variations of custodies available. I thought she was going to take guardian spear custodies. Cause I personally think that they're the best. Yeah. Uh, I think the storm shield is only good in very specific matchups, but my list as at most AP minus one on most things. The lightning claw is minus two. If I took the missile launcher, it's minus two. But everything else is minus one. Chain axes. Uh, I could take a plasma gun, you know. So maybe maybe her thought was that I take the plasma gun. But um, plasma gun are actually really mathematically bad against custodies. Like you will very rarely, if ever, kill a custodies with a plasma gun. So uh, I didn't even consider taking it. So I. I uh, this match, I take the five Berserkers again. I take the Cultist Champion as my leader, take the Missile Launcher, and then I think I have I have two Plain Cultists and two Heavy Stumper Cultists, uh, and that's the, the roster. Uh, I set that Missile Launcher up dead center just to provide fire down the hallway, and then I gather the Cultists kind of throughout, and I put all the Berserkers right behind that door um, that goes into the center room. Turn uh, one, I win initiative, I open the door, I move up uh, all my berserkers into that room, save for one. One of them I send to the left to go down the hallway. Uh, everybody else goes down into the center room. Uh, I have one berserker stand in front of the door. I know she's going to open it, I know she's going to shoot it uh, or charge it, but he's there. She's not going to be able to get in the room. And I hide all the other berserkers after advancing them in the corners of the room so that you can't draw line of sight to them. Mm-hmm. 
I send the cultists basically in their entirety down around to the left because uh, I had Survivor on my cultist champion. So I just tucked them all the way in the back corner. Right. I knew there was no way ever these custodians were going to get all the way back there to kill that one cultist. So I, I could pretty much count that he was going to get Survivor. Um, and then the other things that I took was scout the field and proximity alert. So I, I sent cultists kind of to the edges to try and get them set up for scout the field because that's a deployment where you can do it pretty easy. Um, you start close enough to the two side edges that you can just kind of move around to grab them. Uh, I got set up for scout turn one, and then I stayed, placed that berserker right in front of the door, and then I put two berserkers within two inches of where the custodies would end up if it charged that berserker in, behind the door setting myself up to get proximity alert even if that berserker died because um, i could almost count on the fact that she wouldn't consolidate into me because i assumed that she wouldn't want to risk suffering any attacks from the berserkers because they fight twice yeah um, Turn one happens, and basically everything that I thought would happen, happened. She moves one custodian around to the back to grab an objective, and the other two move up. One opens the door for one guy. He charges my berserker. My berserker dies. Turn one goes by, and I have hold more, uh, but she's got kill more. Mm -hmm. The next round, um, one of those custodians goes around to the to the left, kind of down to that hallway where I have all those um, cultists and the one berserker. We have kind of just a Mexican standoff here. Uh, <laughs> we, we just stand on opposite sides of the door and no one opens it. Um, that cultist is there just waiting. The berserker is kind of behind him waiting and they just wait for the door. In the middle, it just basically is a repeat of what happened last time. I think I had the decisive move this time. Um, and she was pretty low on CP already because she spent a lot of them turn one. For, I think she spent one for bet move, and she had four because you get the extra points for being below 125. Uh, she spent bet move, and then she paid two CP to use a tactic that let her reroll all wounds against Chaos Marines. Um, mm -hmm. I think because she was worried that, that she'd get tied up with that Berserker, um, so she just like guaranteed that he died. So she only went into this round with one left over from before, um, and she wanted to use decisive strike if I charged so she banked the CP and didn't contest my decisive move I moved into the doorway the exact same thing I did before and just kind of tied that custodies up and this round basically played out as an exact repeat killed the berserker but I still had two guys within for proximity alert I got scout the field um, so I was already really racking up the points at this point in time uh, she was getting kill more every single turn, though, and hold one. So even now, she's like, I think she's at six, and I'm only at four. So it was looking definitely in the custodian's favor. Turn three, I open the door on the left where the custodian's behind. <laughs> And I spend one CP on that cultist to give him a five of invulnerability save. Ah, uh, okay. Okay. <laughs> this is our hero. Yeah, and he and he stands there and um, and waits. <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, 
on the other side, I, I basically do exactly, I won initiative this round, so I, I do exactly what I did before. I put one Berserker in, it happens to be my Zealot this time, um, to fight the two Custodes. The reason I put the Zealot in, actually, is because I wanted her to have to save the two CP to decisive strike him. At this point in time, she was down to two, just like I was. So I thought, I'm going to put the Zealot in because he's really scary, because he has the potential to kill her. Uh, because I know I'm going to get the swing twice first, because I have initiative, so she's going to spend 2 CP to kill him, which means that I can counter her having no CP for the rest of the round. Um, and that's exactly what happened. So he goes in, I still have the two guys in the room to be able to get proximity alert off, off of that custodian guard. She has to spend the 2 CP to decisive strike him. He dies. Uh, it's basically exactly the same as before. Um, the one difference, though, she charges that cultist, and he tanks all the custodian spear attacks. On his wow. Save. Yeah. So she she missed she missed with one or she didn't wound with it. One of them dropped. So I had to make two five ups and he made it. Wow. So he he lives you know <laughs> all according to plan. Um, <laughs> what and, an absolute and, unit. Yeah. Exactly. I am so, in awe. <laughs> so that that round I get two for hold more and then I get my two for my for my side. Um, points. We're going into the last round. Things are really close. So the score at this point in time would be nine, nine to eight. Oh no 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 nine to. I should have a little bit more. It's nine to ten. My, in my favor, though. So I'm, okay. I'm up by one point. After, after I, <clears throat> So we, we finished these first three rounds really, really quickly. Um, yeah, that's the custody special. Is you, you, blow th you breeze through the game. Yeah, we, we, we had... I think they gave us an hour and ten minutes, or, or... I don't remember how long the rounds were. It's somewhere around there. Um, we, were, we had like a half an hour left, basically. So I, I sat down and I was like, all right, I'm going to take a little bit of time to to really think about the math on this. And so what it ended up boiling down to was as long as that one cultist lived, I win the game. If that cultist dies, the game ties. So I, I had a ton of CP banked because I wasn't doing anything. I think I had like seven CP. I had some crazy amount, maybe five. I think it was five. I had a ton. So I, uh, I spent one to get that cultist the mark each again. Give him the five up. He's already there in the fight. Yeah, he, he just got to live, and I got a reroll that I can use to to reroll it. So, going to do that. I charge in a, a cultist in the middle into the custodies to just tie him up, and uh, and he makes it. Uh, he charged from out of line of sight, so he didn't have to suffer any Overwatch. So he's in there now. He, he's going to soak up the hits. Um, I have control of it. I just give <laughs> one guy to live, and, and I'll win by a point. So we go to the fight phase. She goes to hit, misses with one attack or, or fails the wound. It was basically the same thing. Two of them went through. Uh, I rolled it. One of them was a six. One of them, I think, was like a three or something. And then I spent a CP to reroll it, and it gets a five. So he tanked both Custodes attacks again, just locking up that entire half of the board, making it so that... And that turn, she, she didn't even uh, kill one. So uh, huh. it, I ended up winning by a little bit more. But it, that, that was just luck. The uh, the counting on thing was just that custodies. Did you uh? Off of 
cultist. Did you mention what her secondaries were? So she had Survivor as well okay. uh, on her on her leader, Naturally. and then she took mind games but killed everything. So I never failed a morale check. Uh, and then she uh, also had, I think, uh, no, uh, proximity alert. I think she must have had proximity alert. Um, <laughs> she was getting some points off the secondaries, one of them. But um, and then Survivor, we both had it, so it just canceled out. But in the end, I, I won by a point. Yeah, it sounds like the. Uh the secondaries were pretty big for you, specifically the positional ones. Yep. Yeah. Well, that's, that's what I took every round. So, um, there were hammering was available several, I think in my next two matches. Um, but I never took it. Um, Mm -hmm. basically anytime there was a kill thing, I avoided taking it. Uh, cause the, the position ones were just easier or better to do in every case against all my opponents. Okay, um, especially against could, custodies. That's that's kind of a no-brainer. Yeah, yeah, it was pretty obvious. Um, so, very, very close match. We were over with a ton of time, though, so we, we just kind of sat around waiting for everyone else to finish. Huh. Goes into round three, and I'm playing against, and his last name is pronounced nothing like it's spelled. So I'm going to pronounce his last name wrong, <laughs> but if you look him up on uh, on the ITC, or on BCP, um it looks like it's it'd be pronounced this way. Uh, it, it Matt H, but uh, his last name's like Howell H O E L L. Oh yes, I I do know who you're talking about. I what does he play? Was he the uh, Gene Cult player? So he played Gene Stewart Cults this time. He is a Heretic Astartes player. I okay. played him at Nova, and uh, at Nova he ran World Eaters, um, and. We had a long conversation about why that's a bad idea. <laughs> <laughs> Round three, I go up against uh, Matt and his Gene Steeler called. It's Arena again. It's actually the exact same board I just played on, the, um, the one with the open room in the center. But Gene Steeler called in Arena at this particular event was probably the worst case scenario because they ruled that Gene Steeler call could open doors with Cult Ambush. Oh, oh that's a pretty big... Yeah, change. I've never played against it, so you know conceptually, I knew what it could mean. Um, but I was like, "This is an unknown element." Worst matchup. Like my shooting is pretty good against Gene Steeler Cult. It's one of the armies where like an auto cannon will really, really mess them up. Yeah. Uh, but I never had an opportunity to use it because we played on Arena. So, yeah. Yeah. Um, I took I took the five berserker list again, um, but I went back to the exact same one I used against the death guard. I took the veteran with the flamer, um, and I had some stubborn cultists. The match had I'm trying to remember what we had as secondaries. I know we had sur- yeah we had survivor yeah survivor was available again because uh, I took that and put it on my cultist leader again. Um, the other two ones. I don't remember off the top of my head. I think her profile targets might have been in it. Um, Scout the Field was definitely one I took because I ended, I remember I had to run a berserker to get it one time. So I took I took Scout the Field and I took Survivor for sure. And I don't remember what the third one was I took. Um, the match, though, was really, really bloody, which I knew it would be. Oh, well, it um, sounds perfect for you. Yeah, yeah, right. <laughs> Should I stop with these? Do the blood jokes ever like annoy you or? No. Okay. No, and, and, you know, if anything, I think I've always em- embraced it. 
<laughs> How could you not, really? <laughs> yeah, yeah. When you have a name that always gets commented on, you know, all you can do is enjoy it. <laughs> Got taken in stride. Um, so he had a, he, he was playing Popper Princess. Um, just that alone made it so I knew he was going to be running a ton of acolytes with heavy weapons, particularly clippers, because if they are going to or cutters, I think they are. If he uh, yeah, if you're the rock cutters hits. Um, you're going to take the minus one weapon. <laughs> and sure enough, after he revealed his roster, he had he had two cutters for sure, and then I think he had two saws. Um, so lots of big heavy weapons. Really dangerous for our berserkers to charge those units because yeah. I don't kill them. My berserker is dead. Um, so kind of a dicey gamble. <laughs> he had uh, a veteran gene stealer. And then... I think both of his other specialists were on on the cutters. I think he had one combat and then one that was something else, maybe a zealot if they have the option for it. Um, we deployed. I, I basically mimicked the deployment I did last time. The one exception is I put the flamer, who was my veteran, up by the door. Um, I did pay one CP to vet move before the beginning of the game, and I just opened up that door. Um and there was nothing blocking the veteran in. My idea had been after he opened the door, I was going to run him off to the right side because I had scouted the field, so I kind of wanted to get over there. And then that also would allow me to apply pressure if somebody tried coming around one of those side hallways. Flamer is really exceptional at dealing with Bean Stealer Cult. So I moved him over there after after I opened it. Um, I don't remember who won initiative. I must have because I, I had control of the room pretty early. So, no, no, he... He did, because he did something really bizarre. Yeah, he had initiative. He he opened the side, one of the side hallways, and he moved his gene stealer up really close to me. Um, maybe like six inches away from my deployment zone, uh, which really surprised me. He was out of line of sight, but he was well within berserker range. Um, so I, I charged a berserker into him, my combat specialist. Um, and then I moved the flamer around to the side. I moved the cultists around to the sides. The idea being that they would go grab me, scout the field. Yeah. And I um, moved most of the berserkers into the center room to just because he had deployed his acolytes opposite me. And I was like, all right, we're going to put them out there and have them fight each other. The rest of the game basically just went that his clippers killed all my berserkers except one who was the one who killed the gene stealer on turn one that guy was free and i ended up moving him out to the outside edge to grab scout the field for two turns he had a lot of models he really outnumbered me by a significant number so he had control of the center room but he also put at least two guys three in some cases in each of the hallways so i was kind of fighting on every front and my cultist on the far side was engaged with an acolyte, um, I think starting turn two. Um, and he happened just kind of via luck to live through that combat, although it didn't matter. He was scoring scout the field, but I had moved another cultist to that side in case he died. So um, we just kind of had these back and forth exchanges on in the hallways. The center board I lost completely by turn four at, at the at, at the start of turn four all my models inside the center room were dead which was four berserkers um, he just got really really lucky with all the clippers 
Um, he, you know, would decisive uh, strike when he needed to, to, to fight before my berserker did, land a hit. Robert Princess lets you be really accurate with that. And then, you know, just cleave a berserker in half. Um, at the end, he had two acolytes left in that middle room, one with a clipper, one with a saw. One of them had a flesh wound, though. He was pretty weak. Um, the other one was fine. Uh, on each of the hallways, exchanges had gone kind of back and forth where we both had lost models or had injured models. In the end, though, even taking as many casualties as I did, going into turn four, I only had the four berserkers dead. Every All my cultists were still alive. I still had one berserker, and I had my flamer. Uh, I won initiative that turn four, and this was like probably the most critical part of the game. I moved my flamer veteran because he, he's very quick. I moved him from pretty far away. I think he was eight plus inches away. I advanced him to the center of the board where he had a clear shot down that middle hall. Oh. And um, he was in the door, the idea being that um, he could not close it on me. If it, He could try, but um, I might live through the mortal wound anyways. The idea being that it just prevented him from really being able just to close the door. Um, and that was really important because he now had, he had two models who were on the center objective and I could, because of Marcus Lanash, torch them both. Uh, so he had to, to charge me, which made it so that I was able to just overwatch with my flamethrower. So my flamethrower overwatched, killed one of his acolytes, and then he elected to keep the other one there and just, um, uh, no, I think he might've been shaken actually. Cause he, he didn't do anything with it. I don't think he shot me even. Uh, it didn't matter though because I, I shot him with a flamethrower anytime. <laughs> <laughs> wow. <laughs> so uh, that flamer cleared out that entire middle room, which lost him that point. And I had killed yeah. so many models by that point. He, he, after I lost Berserkers on turn one, my entire aim for the rest of the game was just to break him. I was just trying to inflict as many casualties where I could. I wasn't worried about taking out his heavy weapons. I accepted I was going to lose Berserkers in that room for the rest of the game, and that was okay. I just needed to make sure that I killed as many of his weak acolytes as I could. Um, and and in the end, it, it worked. Uh, he, he broke on turn four and lost complete control of the board. I had been behind, I think, by two points. Even if he hadn't broke, I think he was... He was suffering from so many morale issues, he still probably would have lost a lot of the points. But yeah. because he broke and he had so many guys die, I think his entire board shook. So he lost everything. So I got a, a ton of points the last round. Like it shifted really heavily in my favor. So, how many flamers did you end up taking? Because I know you have one. Just the one? Just the one. Okay. Yeah, just the one. Just It was just the Marine Flamer. Yeah, because I. are really, really good against um, Team Stealer Call. Yeah, toughest three. Um, not great saves. If we had yeah, played on no. open, I would have took the other two cultist flamers. Too. Yeah. Okay. Um, because on open, you can outflank the cultist flamers. Right, um, right. <clears throat> yeah, that's them. true. It, it gets rid of their kind of one downside, which is their crummy save. <laughs> you could just yeah. come in from the side and, you know, have cover and shoot somebody up. Um, the veteran flamer was really, really helpful, though. He, he torched several guys, locked down a hallway just for the threat of his flamethrower, and then he came back to the center. Basically, turn one, he moved over and just controlled one of the side lanes, um, and then he stayed there for a couple turns just shooting at or threatening guys, and then he came back to the center turn four uh, because he was fast enough to do it and, and you know, torched everybody there. Okay. Um, 
he was definitely one of the big deals in that match. But again, even even though he he had a really pivotal moment, um, just inflicting damage, it was the cultists who scored me all the points the mm-hmm. entire game. They were uh, I mean, none of them died because the berserkers are so scary that he had to dedicate all of his power to killing them. Um, which I mean, you know, he took four turns to kill four berserkers, and that made it so that I had complete control of the rest of it. I wasn't even at risk of breaking. Um, I only had the four dead berserkers and one cultist who had two flesh wounds. So um, hmm. it was it was pretty pretty much the best I could hope for, even though I was really worried about arena against that list. Yeah, yeah, uh, and it then really could have been bad. <laughs> yeah, and then you matched Tyranids in the fourth round, correct? Yeah, I played against Ryan Wilfong, and he is a guy from my local play group. He is really good, though. Uh-huh. His Tyranid list is the best Tyranid list that I've played against. It is honed to a razor's edge, and he, he is a very good player. And uh, he's one of those guys who, like, sad hammers himself before <laughs> a list, you, you know, before a big event. I know, like, I yeah. yeah. All the kinks out of this. Like, <laughs> I'm going to get it perfect. And, and it, it shows, though, he's an exceptional player. So um, I was really lamenting the fact that we had a nit, uh, arena again for the fourth match um because arena against nids is tough mm-hmm. they have so many guys they can so easily clog up the hallways and uh a berserker on a 32 base has a really hard time if the position of the thing that you're charging is just so you, you could prevent me from being able to get on a second guy um and then they're just in the only way to get shot that entire match, though, came down to, I think, really um, some deployment decisions, and then a little bit, a little bit of luck. Um, just in that, I, I made a couple armor saves against a venom cannon. Mm-hmm. Uh, it gave me an extra berserker. I don't know that it would have shifted things too much. I still probably would have won on points, but uh, I ended up being really dominant in that match because the one berserker made his armor saves. Um, like I mentioned when I was talking about the missile launcher, this one really came down to, I, I took the, the same list I did against the custodies where I had the four cultists, the cultist leader, the five berserkers and the missile launcher. And uh, we alternated deployment and I saved my missile launcher until the very end to force him to put his venom cannon, which was on his leader um, on the opposite side from my missile launcher. We played on the map where there is two doors um, right next to the center objective. And then there's like a long hallway that kind of winds. It's kind of like a, like an S shape. Um, yeah. I think I know what you're talking about. It might be our Mori. I'm not thinking about it. Let's see. I'll see if I can find it. I have my arena book sitting here somewhere. I'm visualizing it. <laughs> Do you know which one we're talking about, Ryan? No, not off the top well, of my head. So, so you have you have the the catacombs, right? Which we already talked about. That's yep. the one with the room in the middle. Then we have the the one I played my first match on, which is the long hallway. Yep. Um, and then there's Generatorium, which is the fire map. Yeah. It's it's the other one. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> Process of elimination there. Yeah. <laughs> um, Garrison Vault. Yeah. Okay, so 
the garrison vault is um, you have two really, really long hallways on the side, and then you have like a winding path that goes to the center of the board that has doors along the winding path. Uh huh. The reason, the only reason I make a big fuss about the map is what I did was really important on this map in particular because it made he he put the Tyranid Warrior where he did because it would have been impossible for me for the entirety of the game to draw a line of sight to his warrior. So mm-hmm. I, I in I think it is a I'd imagine probably what he thought is that he saved his leader to the end and moved it over there so that my missile launcher would never have a target. But in reality, what I was trying to do is fake him out, mostly. I put all my berserkers on the same side as my missile launcher, and that made it so that his Tyranid warriors with the heavy weapons, the Venom Cannon, and it also happened to be that his Devourer was on that side, or, you know, Despiter, his Despiter. Um, so he had two warriors on that side. One was a comms, one was his leader, and then he had the only big bug he had on the side of a missile launcher was the Ravner, who was a hmm. veteran. Um I had made it so that my berserkers, who have a hard time against warriors, wouldn't have to fight a warrior until I had killed all of his griblies, until I had killed like five or six gaunt, and then finally he would probably have a warrior come around, and by that point in time, I would be able to just gang up on them with the berserkers, and that was the plan. That's why I put the missile launcher where I did to try and force the monsters to one side of the map, and uh, and it worked pretty much the way I wanted it to. Um, early on, I moved all the berserkers out. They were just aggressive. You know, I just tried to control kind of that center objective. I had domination, so the center objective was really important in this case. Um, I also had high-profile targets, and I had engage on all fronts. So I wanted to get out of my deployment zone pretty quick make some distance across the field. I advanced, I think, every single berserker turn one and just kind of ran them up and tucked them in along those little spiky edges on the map to get cover. It went around to him. He moved out to kind of counter it, and he fired his Venom Cannon, boosted and everything at my berserker who was opposite the Venom Cannon, the one berserker that was on that side of the board, and I passed my armor saves against it. Um, Hmm. So that Berserker was alive going into turn two, and, I, and he made it into one of the warriors, the comms warrior. I had had another Berserker who had made it around kind of from behind and was able to kill a Gaunt, I think, turn one that had charged him. And so now he was free to go into the warriors. So on that side, I had two Berserkers who were fucking warriors, and he had ran a bunch of bugs and then my Berserkers in the middle, um, but I was just killing them. Like, they would charge me, and... He just didn't really have anything to, to hurt me. Um, the only bug, I think, that was on that side of the board where my berserkers were that was any threat was he had a gene stealer who had acid maw and also toxin sacks. So, you know, pretty pretty threatening. Yeah. But it was it was behind um it was behind some bugs. So it was kind of out of position and I was able to get a charge off on it. And so I took it out before it could hurt me. Uh, and then all that was left was just Hormagons. Or the melee ones. I think they're Hormagons. Yeah, I can't remember. I can't. <laughs> they're all I just know that just they're gaunts. dirty Xenos and they must be purged. <laughs> so I, 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 I just had to deal with the uh, the Hormagons that were on that side and the Ravner. And the Ravner is a big bug. He's pretty defensive, but his offensive... Actually... 
like he, he doesn't have any real AP. Uh, he gets the reroll ones when he hits, but he, he's basically just hitting you with Space Marine attacks, um, which Power Armor is pretty effective at defending. He charged my missile launcher with it, and he killed my missile launcher, which was okay because the missile launcher wasn't doing a lot. Yeah. But it made it so that he was just stuck there, and my Berserker Zealot champ went into him and just killed everything on that side. He killed the Ravener. He killed um, uh, some Hormigants. He, he killed a bunch of things. I think he killed like four models over there. And so that was turn two, and I had decimated his flank on that side. That right side, I think, had like six dead models turn two. Um <laughs> Anything that was left alive over there was so far away from his Tyranid warriors because I had forced him to put them all the way on the left side. Right. He they were out of synapse, and uh, so everything that was alive oh, shook. Yeah. Going into turn three, the only thing that he had was a wounded warrior who was in combat and a uh, uh, and his leader. He fell back with the wounded warrior, so his leader was able to fire. He fired the venom cannon at. Um, <clears throat> one of the berserkers who was in cover and uh again it just kind of bounced off i don't remember if he missed or didn't wound or if i saved or what but um even if he had killed him though he still was in a really really bad spot Mm -hmm. um because i still had another berserker over there i had this control of the center board at that point so i was getting a bunch of points off the domination he really only had the warriors left and i had control of every objective except one um so going into turn three it was just kind of it, it, it was just staggering from that point. And uh, by, by the end of four, I had killed everything. Oh, wow. That's not... That is hard to do on yeah, Arena to table an opponent. It's hard to table a tier in general. Uh, yeah, that's uh, that's an interesting match at the end, the Heretic versus, versus Tyranids. I mean, it sounds like a lot of these games were decided in the way that you deployed mm-hmm. and and just... I guess kind of mind gaming your opponent with what you took on the board. Uh, did you ever end up taking the aspiring champion? I, I didn't. You, he, so he's, he's in my list um, for, you know, maybe that's what I'll do real quick. Just uh, I'll talk about the couple things I didn't take and why they're on there. Okay. So the aspiring champion leader is there as the alternative to the cultist leader in situations where um, the cultist leader is a real vulnerability. So like if I play against, um, Tau on open. Yeah. Mm-hmm. The cultist is really vulnerable. He's going to die. Whereas the aspiring champion actually has a pretty decent chance of living against him, especially when he's marked of Nurgle, because I can, for one CP, bump him up to toughness five. Yeah. Yeah. The, so all those he, pulse carbine shots are, they're going down to a 50 50. Exactly. And so that, that really makes him pretty survivable. So, um, <laughs> He's, he's there really for that matchup specifically, Tau, um, but also any matchup where somebody has models that could swiftly get around to wherever he's hiding uh, and also uh, his armor is resistant to it. If, if they're going to be able to get around and they're just going to hit me with a plasma gun, he, he's, he's still not worth it. So, you know, I'm not going to take him in that matchup. Right. But uh, in a situation where his armor is a boon and, uh, and his... And the cultist's lack of durability would be a vulnerability. That that's where I take him. So um, his his uh, bolt gun is pretty helpful sometimes too. I've definitely had it matter in matches. You know, it's just two strength four shots. But 
late in the game, he'll come out and sometimes, you know, inflict the, the last flesh wound I need to, to yeah. force somebody to break. Or so, I mean, it's definitely, it's a bit stronger than the auto pistol. <laughs> the yeah, alternative. Yeah. Although the um, the berserk the uh, I'm calling him a berserker the uh, the cultist champion uh, with with the mark of corn and the close combat weapon there have been several games where I have moved him out to counter a charge late game because of uh, lead lead by example oh yeah yeah if somebody charges a berserker or or something like that if 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 a berserker is in a combat or if there's just a situation that would be helpful. I'm, I'll charge him in and have him attack and lead by example. Or because he's Marker Corn, I can kind of make him into a berserker. Yeah, um, a little he's bit. Just yeah. a bad one. Yeah, you know, I love that <laughs> he you, tries his best. I love that you use lead by example because I feel like that is very uh, underused. Yeah, yeah, I think the specialty tactics in general are a little bit underappreciated. Definitely, definitely. Uh, the uh, the combat one and lead by example are pretty. Yeah, up and at him and lead by example. There, there, they can be yeah. they can be game deciders. Yeah, yeah. There's been several times where I have used Up and Atom to recover a combat. So, like, it, it'll be a situation where I have a Corn Berserker in melee right. with somebody. Like, it's rolled over from a round, and the opponent leaves them there because, um, like, example, from a fairly recent game I can think of, I was fighting against uh, a local guy. He runs Death Guard. I had the combat guy in combat against a cleaver, so um, real big threat to to my berserker. Yeah, we had he had into him from a, a consolidation, so uh, the cleaver and the berserker would have struck at the same initiative. He had initiative that round, my opponent, so the cleaver would have hit first. So he stayed in the combat, thinking that he would be able to hit me. For, for free, basically. I'd either have to decisive strike, in which case my odds of killing him weren't great even to begin with, um, or risk um, being hit. What happened, though, is I uh, I just charged another model in there to get the charge, and then I for one CP, I up and at him, which was... Uh, he thought I didn't have enough CP to do it because I only had one left in the round. Like, yeah, you know, he, he was thinking of decisive strike. Yep, <laughs> yeah, I had that exact same... Um conversation with somebody this past weekend when i when i used it it's a it's, it's a it's powerful it's it's, it's useful yeah. yeah it's a cheaper alternative to um to decisive strike in some situations you know that the criteria are harder to meet but um your combat guy is oftentimes one of the best fighters in your list so you know that's who you want to be swinging first anyways it's mm-hmm. it's a it's perfect synergy for him okay so uh I, there are has four models besides the aspiring champion that I just didn't lose use in the tournament at all, um, and that's my plasma gunner, my auto cannon gunner, and then the two cultists with flamethrowers. Some of that is um, points. Uh, the auto cannon and the plasma gun and the flamer are all three just interchangeable in the list. They're all sixteen points. Mm-hmm. They all take up a gunner slot. Um, the flamers are the cult. Those flamers are eight points apiece, so they can also slot in for one of those sixteen-point gunners. So in some cases, I may go and say, "All right, two cultist gunners with flamers is better than a veteran with a flamer," um, and and it just it's very convenient that they're the same thing. Uh, the big problem I had at this event was I took the missile launcher a bunch, and he's two points more. So to get those two points, I have to get rid of the. Uh, um, cultist flamethrowers and downgrade them to heavy stubbers. So um, that's 
the big reason I didn't ever bring them to the event. The plasma gun and the auto cannon both were just really bad against the opponents that I played on the maps that I played. I, I don't think I think it's almost a no-brainer how good the plasma gun sniper is, especially with the Marcus Lanesh now. Um, to be able to fire him twice, he's just so consistent. I, I've had him do a ton of damage in games um, just by himself. You know, just standing back on an objective or something. You know, he'll just overcharge, fire off two shots, kill a guy. Um, he doesn't need any support to be good at what he does, and uh, uh, I can always kind of count on him to, to kill a guy in a game. For sure. The auto cannon is in a really similar role to him now, and I, I think of him in much the same way in that he, he's really consistent by himself. Like, I, I don't have to do anything to make him good. He, if I just fire him without any CT or anything, he gets the two really long-range shots that are really strong, have a good AP, two damage, which is a huge deal. Yeah. Um, and for really easy, I, I can pour CP into him to make him better. As a heavy, you know, you can put him off the three shots for mm -hmm. one CP. Or you can spend two CP to have him fire again as Marcus Lanesh. Yeah. Uh, I haven't, I haven't had good luck with him in the time that I've tried him since annual. Like, I, I know he has the potential to be really good. The matches that I've played, though, he, he's had a hard time um, actually getting through people's defenses. That's mostly because of the minus one AP. Yeah. Uh, if you're firing against anything that's better than, like, a guardsman or something, he, there's a decent chance they just shrug the hit. Yeah, I've uh, noticed that. It's really the two damage that makes it like worth yeah, taking. The, yeah, the two damage is what makes it even viable at yeah, all. Yeah, <laughs> it's huge to to have that. Yeah, he he's he, he's killed some really important models for me in matches. You know, like I've I've had him pick out like someone else's heavy weapon. I think he's actually really exceptional in um, long range fire exchanges because you can fire him twice which is something that most other people can't do. Yeah. So if you ready, the other guy readies, and, and it's just one of those like long-range shootouts where you know both of you just have low chances of dying, um, he has the opportunity to fire a second time. The other guy typically doesn't. Yeah. <clears throat> so uh, I guess outside of, of MAGFest, um, is there any other majors that you were looking at attending in the next... I guess in the next few months, or I, I may very well go to Adepticon. Um, I'm yeah. originally from Illinois. Uh, Schaumburg, where Adepticon is held, is not too far from where I lived for a really, really long time. So I, I know people in the area, so I could definitely do it. Um, if I, you know, it's just taking the time off and uh -huh. flying up. Oh, uh, yeah. LVO is unfortunately uh, one too soon, and yeah. two falls at the worst time of year for me. Yeah, my my work has like a big blackout thing right now, so I can't do it. Yeah, well, uh, if you're not attending LVO, we're probably going to be doing some coverage on it <laughs> in the next few weeks. Yep. Oh, good. Um, okay, cool. Also, uh, one thing, a follow up: um, Are you going to keep on with uh, with the heretic lists, or are you looking at any other factions? Is yeah, uh, heretics are mostly my main. But, okay. Um, recently, the other day, just with the Having played Slaughterfest, assuming that the meta stays where it is, I may dabble in a 17 bloodletter list. Ooh. Oh. I, I mean, am, you have to. I, yeah. I'm really intrigued by demons overall. So, I, I've, I've played 
Bloodletter Demon specifically in uh, 100 points before and had a lot of success with them. The the thing that I think is really interesting about it, 125, is you get a lot more demons. Like, um, at because the banner and the horn blower are really expensive compared to your other demons they're about they're almost twice as expensive in some cases mm-hmm. um, you you can only fit I think it's 13 <laughs> in at 100 points but you get 17 when you go up to to 125 mm-hmm. um, which is a my biggest complaint about demons the thing that's the hardest for them is their morale they really really suffer from morale issues um, at 100 points at 125 I think that 17 models is really hard to kill in four turns. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, especially when they have a five-up invulnerability save. Yeah. Yeah, and they're not slouches in no, combat no, either. The sixes being two damage has many, many a time when I've played them um, been really significant. You know, they just get a six and just cleave right through somebody. Yeah. Um, so I, I, I may try them and see how they go. I think I'm at a big event, though. Uh, I'm not really one of the people who switches factions. Yeah. I I really kind of like to when I go to like a tournament just to you know to, to hone my art. Yeah, no, so. I think I mean you're 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 William Blood. You have to play Heretic Astartes. Uh, I I mean, and you've already proven that you 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 were good at them. So I, I I think I'll finish out the ITC season as as the number one uh, Heretic Astartes player. Really? Yeah. Uh, yeah, I, I I I've looked at it, and I don't think there's any way that anybody can can actually take it. Like even an <laughs> LVO. Um, wow. Well, congrats. I, I, thanks. Oh, yeah. it's, I think it's it's mostly because I played the most events. <laughs> yeah, that, that's usually how it goes. But still, I mean, it's you got to win somewhere yeah. along the line. So yeah, yeah. So I have uh I have a question regarding the Magfest secondaries. So. For Magfest, they did this thing with the secondaries where the tournament organizer would roll a D12, and then yep. whatever that number was, there would be a list of secondaries. Both players would choose which secondaries on the list they would want to take. Um, I know that there's a lot of talk about free secondaries, where just whatever secondaries are in the tournament packet, players just choose whatever they want to they want to use every single round. Yep. Um, if you were to play in a tournament like that, would that have changed up the list that you brought to Magfest at all? Uh, no, it, I, I've played. I've played in events like that where you can just pick freely, mm-hmm. um, and no, I don't think it does actually at all. So I'm going to pick the same things in pretty much any case. Uh, I have always found, really since Arena came out, which first introduced the the secondary system we even use now, that the area control objectives, the scout the field, the engage in all fronts, the domination, things like that are the are almost always the best thing to pick because they're 100% in your control. Your opponent doesn't really get much of an opportunity to interact with you on it, right. uh, bar, barring attacking your models, which they were going to do anyways. Yep. Um, so when you do that, it makes it so... I just feel like I have an advantage over my opponent when my goal is just to move my models and their goal is to have to surgically select which models they're attacking um, for their secondaries because they don't always line up. So like if, if my opponent takes high profile targets um, to get their point, they may be shooting at a model that is not getting me any points because it's not doing one of my zone control objectives. It's, it's not like 
a great example in the game against Janus. I was fine throwing away all my specialists because, yeah, she was getting a point off of high profile targets, but I was getting a ton of points with my crummy cultists. Yeah, yeah you know, that's a good that's a good way to think about that. I haven't really considered. So I, they're great tools. They're great weapons. I love to use all my specialists. They all are really cool characters who have done a lot of neat things for me in the games that I've played. But I I think that it's I think it's just kind of folly to also have them be the things that need to win you the game, um, because in a basket so then when things fall through like you're just kind of there's no way for you to come back the the zone control ones i can score points even if i am on the back foot even if i have half my force and i have nothing to kill you with anymore i can run and hide and you know score a point off of scout the field or something yeah um and so that's that's i think why i always pick them um the other ones are just I've too many a time have I picked like um, cut apart and then my opponent just makes all their armor saves. Or, yeah. Yeah. Feels or, bad, like, man. Yeah. Yeah. Or the, the hammering was one that was available at the tournament uh-huh. like three times, I think, which that one is uh, if, if you go to the injury table twice in the fight phase, yeah, um, then you get a point. And every opponent that I played against where that was an option, thought up and down that I picked it, uh, but I never did because it's very easy to have a berserker miss both of their attacks or to fail to wound or something like that. It's happened all the time um, in oh, games yeah. that I've played. You know, there's just a round where it's just a whiff by everybody. <laughs> and in that case, I didn't kill any models and I got no points. So it's like a double suck. Whereas if I just picked like engage in all fronts and I, I charge into you and I pile around you to be able to get engaged in all fronts, even if I don't kill you because I rolled bad, I still get that point. Um, yeah. And I'm in combat fighting you anyways, which is where I wanted to be. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, with the positional ones, there's just less rolling, dice rolling involved in whether or and, not you get it. It's just yeah, you and, go here, you put your units here. And that goes back to kind of the, really the thing that we opened up with, which is why I took Renegade Chapters. I, I play the game to minimize chance. You know, that's yeah. that's anytime I'm denying the opportunity for my opponent to roll a die to prevent me from doing something, or I'm giving myself the opportunity to re-roll a die for free, I'm going to do that. I'm going to pick it every time. Yeah, I think that's smart. Um, one thing I wanted to ask, uh, let me pull it up here. Um, so in the, I guess with, uh, with slaughter zone and everything, this shifts the way that people are looking at the game competitively, but how do you think that, uh, your faction, how do you think heretic kind of stacks up in the, the meta of, of kill team right about now? Um, so heretic Astartes have always been, I don't think they're a faction that you just pick up and play unless you've played them. The, the reason being they, they play pretty different from a lot of other armies in the game. Um, I don't know that there's, other than Custodes, maybe, but they play so different because they have so few models. Yeah. I don't know that there's any other army who really is <laughs> as assault-oriented as I play them. Um, that's partly my play style, though, is I, I play them very assaulty. I, I've talked with people, and I've seen the trend towards moving towards like the Iron Warriors, the Combi, Plasma, terminator with comms you know kind of stacking all these buffs and then denying people their ability to resist on the injury and and i get the 
the idea behind it, but I just can't. I just can't see how you win matches with that unless you kill your opponent. Yeah. Which, so one thing I know, I heard that um, at some of the LVO pods, and I know LVO is doing the kill one. Don't mind the dog. <laughs> uh, LVO is doing the uh, the kill one, kill more kind of like slaughter fest or slaughter zone. Um, and uh, I heard that at some of the practice tournament or like the the pre tournaments that they're doing in preparation for LVO, uh, custodies have apparently been doing very well. Um, I wouldn't I wouldn't be surprised by that. They're one hundred percent open at LVO. Yeah, if I remember right. So that already is a really big boost. The, to custodies and then something that's really hard at a distance to evaluate to is what type of terrain you're using terrain is so huge in kill team. oh yeah like, huge the the smallest difference in the types of boards that you play on can massively skew things one way or the other take for example at nova uh nova had terrain that was given to them by games workshop it was just the terrain that came out of the, the first starter box um mm -hmm. so it, it's that like ruined imperial city it has a ton of windows yeah. in it yeah one of the guys in our group like actually went out of his way to collect that terrain so that we could do nova missions with the like terrain faithful to awesome. the mission yeah yeah so, so well you guys have played on it so you probably know <clears throat> yeah so, uh you could draw a line of sight to pretty much anything on that board anytime there yeah. are like three spots in those runes where it's solid and you can hide a smallish model <laughs> yeah um, and so that that just has that has an impact on the way that people play play those games. Um, on the opposite side of that, like the TOs who ran Magfest, um, the guy who provided most of the terrain, he has he three D printed a lot of it, and they were oh. like super thematic. He had a ton of line of sight blocking stuff. That's really cool. I'm a big fan of that, and I think it's kind of like necessary, in my opinion, comp for a competitive event for there to be a lot of if there to be at least a few major line of sight blocking pieces of terrain yeah. on the board no i I, to I totally agree um i, I think <clears throat> that when you have kind of bowling ball as they call it you know then that that skews things really heavily towards yeah. um, shooting armies um so i'd be curious to know in those prep matches where custodians have done so well you know what the, what the table actually looks like yeah um because I imagine custodies actually probably do pretty well, um, you know, in in kind of a mixed environment where you have like one or two pieces to, to hide behind, but it's pretty open otherwise. Because their shooting is pretty pretty good. Uh, yeah, a two damage AP minus one bolt gun will kill a lot of chaff. Um, you know, it's not going to kill like a Tyranid warrior or something, but. You kill enough little dudes, you win the game that way too. Yeah, um, Ryan, did you have anything else? I, I think I've gone through my. Yeah, I think my list has been exhausted as well. Um, um, if I didn't ask them they, directly, they were certainly brought up. Yeah, just as we were talking about uh, about all the games. Um, yeah, I mean, again, thank you for coming on and and. No, thanks and, for having me. Yeah, yeah, it's been a been a pleasure. I really enjoyed the game, so I'll take any opportunity to you know tell people about it. Yeah, for sure. Um, before we uh, before we wrap things up, do you have anything that you'd like to plug or? You know, I I, I wish I did, uh, <laughs> but no, not really. I, I I really hope that sometime in the like going to Magfest 
going to Nova, you know, kind of touching my toe into the various communities that are out there, I, I've gotten a really strong sense that we have, that there are people who play the game um, in abundance, actually, but we don't really have any good way to communicate about it. Uh, the communities are really disjointed and um, a real good example about six, seven of the people who came to MAGFest um, came because MAGFest is a, is a convention that's just about music and video games. Yeah. They were just attendees who were there who always go to it, and they saw that there was like a Kill Team event, and they were like, holy cow. But um, the TOs were hosting the event for the Kill Team community in the area. That was, I think, their idea. So they posted all everything about it on Facebook. Yeah. Uh, they didn't post anything in like MAGFest channels or anything. So the guys showed up and were like, oh, so what are we doing? You know, that's just a great example of like no one knew that that community existed out there. Yeah. They just happened to be at that <clears throat> convention. You know, so we talked to those guys and it's because they, they play at a DW store in the area. Mm -hmm. um, and they want to play the game more competitively, you know, without GW's training wheels on. <laughs> yeah. Um, and. You know, they just didn't know that there were other places where people were playing in the area. So I guess what I'm really hoping, one of the big goals for 2020 um, in our local scene is I'd really like to see if we can consolidate some of that. You know, if we like uh, there's a really big presence on the West Coast already, like the scene. Oh, yeah. Event group is like huge they run gts like every two months <laughs> so like all those guys out there are getting to play these awesome events with all these awesome players and we've got really good players out here too we've got really good uh community presence but we i just don't know we don't have the, the center to talk about it so i'm hoping that we can move towards getting the people to come together so that you know nova next year can be a big event or, mm -hmm. or, you know, or like Magfest when they do it again, if they do it again, it could be a big event. I'd really love to see if we could get the the people on the East coast also playing these, you know, I, I, it, it's almost my dream to see like a major for kill team. Oh yeah. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> I, I feel the exact same way. Uh, it's just a matter of getting everyone together and getting people on the same page. Right, which you know, and, and uh, I'm I'm not sure the best way to do it is because they're everyone's kind of mixed between all these different like social media outlets, really. So like, there's Facebook groups kind of all over that I've seen where people are scheduling and doing things in. Um, some of the YouTube content creators have their own channels and things like that where people have collected. Uh, yeah. There's just not any one spot where. Uh, you know, where you could post something and say, Hey, I'm doing a thing and people would, would know that you're doing it. So yeah. I think as a community, that's the challenge is figuring out a way to incorporate all the disparate groups. Yeah. Well, uh, well, it's been, it's been awesome having you on. Um, it's great talking to you guys too. Yeah. So I'll, uh, I'll, I'll listen for, uh, you know, for what you guys release in the future. I listened to a couple of the episodes past the, um, I listened to the MAGFest one and then the, uh, the Kill Team Annual Review. And yeah, they, great. They both were good. So Thanks. Yeah, thank we're you. young. We're young. We're working on it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. Well, the kinks always work in the beginning. So, yeah. Right. You guys will get it. Well, thanks so much. Good talking to you, Will. Same to you. Take care, guys. Bye bye. We hope you've enjoyed this episode of the Command Point Podcast. 
Don't forget to like, comment, subscribe, and rate us on whatever platform you use to listen, as it helps more listeners find our podcast. And this also helps to grow the Warhammer 40,000 Kill Team community. Thank you for listening.